Hey, y'all, I wanted to take a second before we get into this episode to remind you that the show is also available on YouTube. And starting from episode number 101, it's all in 4K. I'm trying to make the best video podcast I can, so definitely check it out and subscribe to the channel if you haven't already. Go to youtube.com slash at progressionspod or hit the link in the show notes. If you're not getting enough progressions and you want to get even more thoughts on creativity, productivity, and growth in music, then you should sign up for my newsletter. You'll find a brief article in each monthly edition as well as updates on progressions and myself. I'm also sharing some workflow hacks and links to stuff that I found interesting or helpful. So it should be fun. If you want to stay up to date on the latest and get all the bonus stuff, go to travisferrance.com slash subscribe or click the link in the show notes. Happy pre-Thanksgiving progressions episode. Welcome back. This is episode number eight. This week, I wanted to keep the open short and sweet and maybe a bit obvious with tomorrow's holiday, but definitely not unimportant. I wanted to start off by saying thank you to everyone that is listening and subscribing. The response to this show so far has been overwhelming, and I want you to know that I appreciate you taking the time out of your day to hang out and listen. I know how valuable your time is. Hmm, the importance of valuing your time. Sounds like a rant for another episode. No, but seriously, I greatly appreciate every message I've received, every post sharing the show, and every review. Seeing people respond to it and the guests has kept me inspired to keep raising the bar. The fact that people I don't know would listen to this show and agree to chat with me is pretty amazing, and I am continually blown away by how invigorating the process of making this has been. And while we're on our gratitude rant... I wanted to thank every guest that has taken the time to come onto the show and to be willing to share their tips and their goals for our listeners. I appreciate so many of you taking a chance on a brand new show. And for the behind the scenes, thank you to everybody that has been supporting me on the back end. You know who you all are. Your input and support has been invaluable. I appreciate all your advice and ideas, so please keep them coming. And hey, why don't we just keep rolling? Thanks to all my clients and collaborators. I feel fortunate to have met so many new people this year, and I've enjoyed making music with all of you, so thank you for trusting me with your art. And finally, a special thanks to our guest today. He was one of my first friends here in Los Angeles, and when I first started at Capitol, I was the extra guy who only got hours when they needed extra help. And every time he could get away with it, he always told our boss that he needed help on the night shift just to get me in there. So thanks for that, and sorry, Paula, you didn't always need two people on those overnights. So in closing, I urge you to take some time to focus on what you are grateful for and to express your appreciation to the people that you've worked with and for and the people that have supported you. It's been a crazy and tough year for everybody. If you're feeling exhausted by 2020, try to flip things around a bit. Try to view it from whatever positive side you can. Most all of us have not had the year we planned on. I definitely didn't. So don't reflect on what you didn't get to do this year. Be grateful for what you did get to do. Be thankful for the people you spent time with or the things that you had time to learn or whatever it is. Find the positive. I know, it's easier said than done. But you'll find that approaching a tough situation from the angle of gratitude will change your outlook on everything and likely the trajectory of your career for the better. So thanks for listening and happy Thanksgiving to our American audience and I hope you enjoy this episode. 
Today's guest, Dan Johnson, is one of the leading experts in the world of audio archiving and is the owner and chief engineer of Audio Archiving Services. He has worked in studios in Los Angeles for over 20 years and for the past decade focused exclusively on archiving analog tapes. He's archived over 10,000 reels of tape, some of which are the best-selling albums of all time, and has been a featured speaker on panels at both NAMM and AES. And if all that doesn't impress you, Michael Jackson nicknamed him Dan the Muffin Man. So, welcome to the show, Dan Johnson. So, Dan. Oh, thank you, Travis. Yeah. It's good to be here. Yeah. Good to have you. Thanks for, thanks for coming on. Yeah. Um, so, Dan uh, was my first friend I made in Los Angeles, probably, I think. We met working at uh, Capitol Studios. Yes. Uh, back in, what, 2000, 2006, somewhere now? Yeah, actually, right there. Oh, right, 2006, awesome. you nailed it. <laughs> Yeah, wow, that's yeah, that was 14 years ago. I know. It yeah, it's been a minute. It's been a minute. I mean, you were and, like you were like 7 years old, I think, when you came in. <laughs> yeah, I I was college aged, you know. I, I made it. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, oh, okay. So, uh but dude, I'm so stoked for for what you're doing. Like you've had this like huge change and you just seem to be dominating. But before we get into that, Oh, thank you. It's um it's 2020. Mm-hmm. And kids are making hit records on their phones with GarageBand. So I think we have to tell people what analog tape is, the short story, <laughs> and why it's important that somebody archives these old magnetic tapes. Okay, well, back in the day, when, when I started in studios, uh, we had these things called tape machines. And you would record onto a reel of tape, and it's um, usually depending on how, on how much, uh, how, how long the song is or how many reels of tape you need. Sometimes it could take 50 reels to do an album. If you're doing it 30 ips, there's, you can get like two or three songs per reel. So a lot of times you're doing multiple takes, whatever. So all that went on these giant reels and they're heavy as hell. And over the years, as far as storage goes, the tapes start to deteriorate. It's an organic material. It's going to deteriorate. And also what I tell my clients is that the main thing that they have to worry about is having machines to play them back on. The tape's been holding up fairly well uh, for the most part, as long as, as long as you get it, you know, and store it pretty soon. Um, but the, uh, the hard part right now is finding machines. So some of the oddball formats, some of the digital formats, uh, you, it, it's really hard to find working machines. And I've spent a lot of money and time finding those machines and getting them <laughs> fixed and, yeah, and there's it's hard to find people that work on them too. That's that's the main reason to archive your stuff is because if you wait ten more years, there might not be a working DAT player or Sony thirty three forty eight. Also, just all formats that that our listeners no no clue, which is crazy how many oh, different yeah, things audio has been recorded <laughs> on. You've got like wax cylinders. You've got you know just everything. Oh, oh especially in the nineties, it was a wild west because that's when digital really hit its stride. And so you had DATs, you had mini discs, you had um, 3348s, you had Mitsubishi X850. Uh, it just goes on and on. People are just throwing whatever at the wall to see what's stuck. <laughs> okay, so now that we've kind of summed up, you know, analog tape and and why we need to save it, right? Um, let's talk about how you how you started. How'd you get? You're not from LA. How'd you end up in the music business in LA? Uh, oof. Um, Start at birth. By accident, actually. Um, yeah, okay. 
Well, I was born in Abilene, Texas. Um, I grew up in I grew up in a small town called Haverty Grace, Maryland, and I got interested in guitar playing around twelve, and joined a bunch of bands and did some recordings as a studio guy, like on other bands' records, and really got into like, oh, engineering's pretty cool. Um, maybe I should do that because who you know, being a guitar player in Haverty Grace, Maryland, isn't going to get you a lot of gigs. So I decided to go to archive, to um, recording school. I went to Conservatory of Recording Arts and Sciences uh, way back in 1997, got a recording degree there. And they said, okay, to, to complete your degree, you have to get an internship somewhere. So they, you know, I, they were like, pick a coast. Do you want to go to New York? Do you want to go to LA? Uh, we'll help you find an internship. And I'd always planned on going back to the East Coast, but then I saw what rent was like in New York. And I was like, there's no way I can afford this. So I was like, uh, I'm already in Arizona. Uh, let's go with California. And so they hooked me up with an internship at A&M. And so I moved to California, didn't know anybody. I went to my interview over at A&M. Everything went great. They're like, okay, we'll give you a call in a week. You'll get started then. So a week went by, didn't hear a word. Uh, so another week went by and I'm like, okay, something's weird. So let me give them a call. And they're like, oh, hey, yeah. Um, we decided we're not taking interns this year. So I'm living in a studio apartment paying eight fifty dollars a month back in 97 for a studio apartment and had no job, no nothing. Like it was, yeah, it was, it was pretty dire at that point. Um, a friend of mine got a job over at Ocean Way and he said, hey, they're planning on getting rid of somebody soon. I put your name in the hat. Let's see what happens. So I get a phone call from Ocean Way and they're like, yeah, you know, um, come in for an interview. We'll, you know, we probably have room for you here. Went up, talked to the general manager. I think I wore a suit and tie for my interview as a runner. (laughs) (laughs) And then, uh, yeah, we went up, I went up to the interview. He's like, great. Can you start today? And I'm like, sure, let's do it. So he was like, okay, go downstairs and uh, this guy's going to show you what to do. I think the guy's name was, was Mike or something. So, um, went downstairs. Mike's like, Oh, you're the new guy. Congrats here. This is how you make coffee. This is where we keep the vacuum cleaner. This is where we keep the stuff to clean the toilets. Cool. You know, like the whole thing. (laughs) So at the end of the day, um, we're all hanging out. The day shift is hanging out, waiting for the night shift to come in. And Mike gets called up to the, to the office. And so, you know, I'm like, oh, that's, you know, okay, maybe they want to see how I was doing or whatever. About 15 minutes later, Mike comes down and he's like, enjoy your fucking job and left. And I'm like, oh shit, he was a guy that, that they were going to fire. And I guess they didn't tell him and they had him train me that day. <laughs> um, so that was my first foray into the music business. And uh, yeah, it's, it's been all uphill since then. Yes, thank you. Yeah. That sounds like... Uh... That sounds like 90s studio life from uh, oh, it from what was I've heard. it was, and that was the thing they they always said, you know, work your ass off, do what you're told, because there's a thousand people out there that want your job. So, you know, you always had that in the back of your mind, like I better do everything right because if not, I'm gone. And it was true, you know. <laughs> so, yay, 90s, 90s studios. Yeah, there you go. So then you worked your way um, through. Record one and then ended up at Capitol. 
Is that yeah, a um, progression? Ocean Way owned Ocean Way owned Record One. Ellen Sides owned Ocean Way and Record One. So I was at Ocean Way for a little under a year. And the, the story was, if you go to record one, you screwed up. Like you're being banished to record one. And so, I, you know, so I was, in, I was one of the night guys over at Ocean Way. And they're like, hey, uh, we need you to go to record one. One of the guys is quitting. And I'm like, oh, no, like, what did I do? You know, and this so I go over to record one. Oh, it was horrible. Um, so I go over to record one and it was amazing. It was a small studio. There's two rooms. You got to learn a lot. The techs were amazing. It was uh, John Molino and Mike Wamskans at the time. Two amazing techs and two great people. And so, you know, they'd be like, hey, come in the room and let me show you how to line a tape machine. Hey, let me show you how to do this and how to fix this. And we were have barbecues and make margaritas. And so, yeah, record one was great. And that's where Michael Jackson gave me the nickname Dan the Muffin Man. Michael was in for, for about nine months uh, on his last album, Invincible. And uh, for the last three months of it, we were going 24-7, like sleeping at the studio. Like uh, one of the assistants and I had a beard growing competition. Like, you know, after a certain point in time, you start getting a little bored. Um, the thing with record one is that they had a full kitchen, like with, you know, full gourmet kitchen. And so I was like, ah, it's two o'clock in the morning, I'm bored. Uh, you know, no, everybody's sleeping. Like what, you know, what should we do? And so I went over to Ralph's and got some muffin mix and some cake mix. And, but I was like, screw it. I'm going to start baking stuff. So I started baking blueberry muffins and everybody loved them. And so that, and so I became Dan, the muffin man on, you know, cooking <laughs> muffins for Michael Jackson. Amazing. I mean, it's, it's one of my proudest moments. It, as it, as it should be. Yeah. That sounds like, it sounds like a great vibe over there then is it like it's funny i was i was just talking to somebody who was on the podcast earlier and we were talking about you know the uh, the glory of the 16 to 18 hour day and how everybody was like oh i worked 18 hours and the next guy oh, like yeah. i worked 20 hours and just you know talking about burnout and and how gnarly it can oh, be yeah. especially i feel like in it started to fade out after the 90s but i mean what well, you're sleeping at the studio i mean how do you even get paid the overtime does anybody um, even know <laughs> Yeah, we won't talk about that. That was uh, <laughs> uh, that, that was one of the reasons I quit. Uh, your, your time so. card says thirty-seven hours on it. Uh, yeah, something like that. So okay, yeah. And I was told it would even out. So uh, which it oh, never it, did. It, yeah. So be, between that and getting a gun pulled on me, that was uh, the beginning of the change. Yeah, that's when I was like, ah, maybe I should do something else. Maybe I should start looking at another studio to go to. So, and that's when I went to Capitol. So, and I, I never, Michael Bolton never pulled a gun on me. So Perfect. It's, uh, yeah. Yes. So, uh, w when you were at record one, was that when you first started getting into like lining the tape machines up and were you doing some tape opping and like started to like get into how that world worked with the, uh, yeah, I in, in regards to analog tape, obviously, you know, studio stuff you, you knew. Yeah. The, it started a little bit at ocean way. There's an engineer, Jim Scott. Uh, he was doing a band called Wilco. You might have heard of him. He was mixing them in Studio 3 over in the 6000 building. And I was in the hallway, like, I don't know, cleaning the wooden walls with Pledge or something stupid. And Jim comes down the hallway. And he's like, hey, what are you doing? And I'm like, ah, nothing, you know, just cleaning walls. And he was like, okay, get your ass in the studio. So I'm like, oh, okay. So I go in and he's like, have you ever edited tape before? 
And I'm like, well, I think I did it once in school. And, and he was like, okay, get a razor blade. And the band sitting there and they had this look like, what the hell are you doing? Man? You know, like we just spent like tens of thousands of dollars on this album and you're letting some kid that you found in the hallway. Like, at, so he showed me how to edit half inch tape and how he did it and like the correct way to do it. And I was nervous as hell, like the razor blades shaking and the band saw that and they're shaking and, you know, but we got through <laughs> it and, uh, it, it was, yeah, it was, it was definitely a teaching moment. And then, um, after that, you know, I would do thirding in the studio. They, they had so many assistants at the time that, you know, people were fighting for hours. So if all hell broke loose, I would go in and be an assistant for somebody or I had third on something. And then once I got to record one, it was a bit more lax. And so I started doing a little bit more assisting and getting in the rooms and learning, you know, the ins and outs of aligning tape machines and uh, doing sessions. Right. And for, uh, for our listeners, thirding would be, you got the main engineer kind of was called the first engineer, assistant engineer was the second engineer. And the third was kind of like the, the guy that was probably most likely to get promoted next. But uh, yeah, it was kind of your chance to get in there and learn some stuff. Yeah, it was more sit down, shut up, <laughs> sit in the corner. Yeah. yeah, it was sit in the corner, shut up, document everything. And uh, right. let me know if there's a hum somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. And one day you'll get to do one of these other jobs. Exactly. So. Yeah. Okay. So you, so you go, you go over to Capitol and, and we worked there together for years. And then I remember you left and you started doing archiving. I don't know when that would have been like 2010s or something, maybe. It was about 2010 or so. Yeah. Um, I left Capitol, I think it was 2008 and I went freelance and if you remember 2008 is when the economy collapsed and everything was going to hell. And I'm like, oh, this is a perfect time to go freelance. So I'm looking for a gig. I'm doing projects here and there. And I get a phone call from my friend, John Molino from Record One, when the text, and he's like, hey, a client of mine owns an archiving facility and they do archiving for Warner Brothers. They need somebody part-time. Are you interested? And I'm like, what the hell's archiving? I had no idea what it was. And so he was like, oh yeah, tape machines. And I'm like, oh, I was like, John, I haven't touched a tape machine in like 10 years. Like I, you know, I don't know. I'm going to need a refresher course. So he took me over to LAFX studios in the Valley. He had called Eddie Kramer, who was working there and said, hey, Eddie, I need to show a friend of mine how to calibrate a, an ATR. Do you mind if we use your ATR to calibrate? He's like, oh yeah, it's fine. Go ahead. So Middle of the night, I'm in LAFX standing over Eddie Kramer's ATR with uh, uh, an Allen wrench and a tweaker and trying to remember how to do an alignment, a, a full playback alignment. And um, the next day, I did my interview at the, uh, at the archiving facility. And uh, they're like, cool, you start tomorrow. And that's how it started. I think the first project I did was uh, the Ramones catalog, uh, Multitracks. So the first, Amazing. yeah, the first album I did was, uh, it's alive, their live album. Yeah, it was, it was amazing. Like I, I, I was instantly hooked on it. That's great. Yeah. Now most, most people probably don't know how much gets archived. They're probably thinking that it's the album, but there's, there's a lot more to it than that. Right. It depends on what they need. Um, some labels and artists just do like, okay, we have a 30th anniversary coming up. So get just the master tapes and we'll archive those and all the outtakes and everything else. Uh, we'll do those later. Then there's some places that are more completist and they want everything digitized. So it really depends on the project and who's doing it. 
Uh, so what what kind of like uh, what drove you? I mean, I think everybody hits a point in their life where they want to work for themselves. That's kind of how I ended up quitting multiple jobs until I realized that I wanted to work for myself. What was there a turning point or something that triggered you to be like, hey, you know what? I'm going to do this archiving thing on my own. I'm going to start my own business. Um, let's see. Uh, well, I worked for the Warner Brothers archivist. Um, I started off part-time and then uh, within six months, I was a chief engineer. And I was doing like 80 to 100 hours a week. It was, you know, it, there was a burnout factor with it. And then I got a call from, from a recording studio that, uh, that I used to work for. And they, they said, Hey, uh, we got your name from a bunch of people. Um, we'd like to, you know, we're thinking about doing an archiving facility and we kind of heard that you're the guy. So, uh, would you like to build an archiving facility from the ground up? So I was like, sure. And, uh, that was United, which used to be Oceanway. And so I went over to United and, uh, the pay was a lot better. We, we did a partnership. So that was an incentive. And then, uh, you know, I got to, I got to do things my way, which, you know, I, I take a lot of pride in just the work I do. And, you know, I, in other places I saw that that was lacking. So it was nice to just have, you know, just to kind of run the ship as it were. So I, I built this archiving facility over there and I was a head archivist and did that for a few years. And then the way things go, uh, they, you know, my, my contract was up. They wanted to change the contract. Uh, you know, it's a business thing. So I left and I started my own business and it was, it, yeah, it was one of the best decisions I ever made. I love that studio. I love the people over there, but it feels good not having red tape of working for a corporation. And, uh, you know, I, it's, it's good to do it my way. If you're enjoying this episode, then please consider pulling your phone out, tapping that share button, and sending this to one person that you think would enjoy it. Obviously, it would be huge for me, but it could be even more game-changing for that person. You just never know what can inspire or help someone else out. I want to take a second to tell you about Secret Sonics, a podcast by Ben Wallach and Carl Bonner. Secret Sonics is one of my favorite shows, and it's now double amazing with the addition of Carl Bonner as a co-host. Ben and Carl have teamed up to discuss the real-world trials and triumphs of music production. They cover it all from mixing and studio tricks to branding and mindsets. If you're a fan of progressions, you'll be a fan of Secret Sonics. Check it out wherever you listen to podcasts or hit the link in the show notes. So the uh, you were kind of, uh, it sounds like when you were working with United, it was kind of like you you kind of had your business. It was like a 50-50 thing with the, since it was like a, like a partnership. So you're exactly. kind of like get, getting your feet wet. Because you were hiring people too, right? I think I remember you had a couple people working for you. And I was like, Dan's got employees. He's so awesome. I know. It's crazy. Yeah, it, it started from uh, me sitting in a room full of tape machines, like trying to figure out what to do and like note, you know, just a couple things here and there to archive. And I'd show up every day and do like a full like eight to 12 hours a day with no work to do, just trying to market everything and get everything running. And then it got to the point where uh, we had to take over other rooms in the studio just to house all the tapes that we were getting in. And I was like, I need, I need help. So I, you know, I hired two people. Yeah. It was crazy how, how fast it took off. And that's um, awesome. Is there, Oh, continue. Oh no, no, go ahead. It, oh, I was going to say, is there like uh, you know how when we, we worked in studios, it was always about like client services and like how, sharpen the pencils were and like how clean the credenza is like do you have 
Do some people come in and want that old school experience and like want to watch you do their tapes or does, do people just drop the tapes off? Do you still get to do like, is that still important, I guess? Well, the, the first thing is that any job in a studio is a client service job. And that's what a lot of people don't realize um, is that you're, you know, you're there to, to help the client do whatever they want and facilitate whatever they need. And that, you know, that extends into archiving. Some clients want to be there and I tell them up front, you're going to be really bored because it's a lot of me calibrating machines and listening to tones and the actual transfer of it is the quickest part of the archive. Like I'm scanning boxes and like really boring mundane stuff <laughs> that, you know, I find interesting, but you know, the client's just like, okay, when, when am I going to hear my music from 50 years ago? And it's like, okay, well, you know, have, you're going to have to wait like an hour before I can actually get to it. So a lot of them, after they hear that, they are just like, okay, I'll drop the tapes off and I'll pick them up next week. I'm like, perfect. That's, you know, that's fine. Um, you know, we've, we've mentioned it. Uh, we've mentioned it a couple times, the calibration and the aligning. Yes. For people that don't know, what's the process like a little bit, not particularly um, calibrating, but like if, if I give you my, my master tape of, of my greatest record of all mm -hmm. time, like what, do you, what are you going to do? What, what do you start with? Okay. Um, well, the process goes, uh, first I kind of evaluate the tape, see what condition it's in. A lot of times we need to bake the tapes because over time uh, the tape starts deteriorating. The same way that you bake the muffins. Exactly. So <laughs> I was, it, it was kind of a, you know, it was a foretelling of what was to happen later on in my life. Yeah. Uh, over time, the tape starts sucking in moisture from the environment and it becomes sticky. And if you put it up on a tape machine without checking it, pretty much all the oxide where the music is held will rub off on the heads and then you've destroyed your master tape. So um, the only way to keep it from sticking is to put it in a food dehydrator for about 12 to 14 hours um, at between 125 and 145 degrees, and then let it cool for another 12 to 14 hours. Then you check the tape again, and if it's clean, you can start doing your, your transfer. But yeah, that's one of the things you know, that we offer in-house. And uh, a lot of places offer baking. For me, uh, I don't charge for baking. It's a tape sitting in an oven for 12 hours. Why, why am I going to charge somebody like 250 bucks for a tape to just sit somewhere for, for 12 hours? Like that's insane to me. And that's part of owning my own business too, is that I can make those kind of decisions where it's like, I'm not going to gouge the clients on stuff. Right. It's, you know, that, that's important to me. That's part of the client services, you know, like you can trust me that I'm going to bill you fairly and that I'm going to do the best job I can. And that's, you know, and that word gets out and that's, that's how I'm so busy right now. Luckily. Yeah. You were, you were telling us before we started that you're just like, you're working nonstop. Pandemic hasn't slowed down anything for you. Right. Yeah. It's, um, I guess since everybody's been quarantined, they've been going through their closets and their storage units and finding all their old tapes. And since a lot of artists can't tour anymore, you know, they're looking for things to, to monetize. And so, hey, here's an old demo from 1996. You know, we can get this online and, and generate some money because, you know, a lot of those bands were, were planning on touring this year and their entire income is gone. So, a lot of bands. A lot, a lot of, of bands. bands. Yeah. Um, it's, a, it's a crazy time in music right now. So, oh, it's uh, insane. We're, we're glad yeah. you're, you're busy. Uh, so, oh, me I, too. Yeah. <laughs> I have a question about um, so you, you've kind of like, 
you've worked for people and now you've built your own business from the ground up essentially. Yes. And you went to uh, an audio school that is what, maybe a, an 18 month, a two year, um, a two year school. Did you ever think to yourself like, I can't believe I'm doing this. I don't, I don't have a business degree. Were, are you, are you just super stoked that you did that? Were there things that you were like, oh, I got to learn this. I'm going to grab a book. Anything oh. that you did to teach yourself like this, like business stuff that musicians have no clue about. I, I had to learn everything from the ground up. It was crazy. Um, and a lot of it I did when I worked for United because it, you know, I was doing all the work orders. I was just, you know, scheduling everything, uh, maintaining the tape logs. So that made it easier for me to transition into my own business. And then I had to learn taxes and incorporation and all the fun stuff that comes along with it. Right. So oof. all, all dirty, sinful words to, oh, it's uh, horrible. to musicians. It's horrible. Um, I always like, I have this, uh, in the last couple of years, this obsession with like, uh, productivity and like working more efficiently. And, you know, it's like, obviously you've probably stumbled on a lot of things that are making your day go faster. Is it any, anything specific that you has been a big game changer for you? Oh, as far as making the day go faster. Um, yeah. Any, uh, a huge time saver or hiring somebody to do something or outsourcing something or whatever. Uh, not really. We do everything in house. Like, you know, and I do, you know, I do a lot of the stuff. Um, we have a person that comes in and does some invoicing every now and then, but since the pandemic, it's pretty much just been me at the office. Um, a couple of my engineers have been coming in. We've been working out a shift system lately just because we have so much work to do to get out that, you know, I, I had to, you know, I had to tap out for like, you know, like, Hey, I need to take a weekend off. Cause you know, I'm yeah. going to burn out. So, but yeah, it's, it's pretty much been, been me running the whole thing, which it's, it's pretty stressful, but at the same time, it's rewarding. You know, I, I know where all, you know, where everything is. I know, you know, how much money I'm making, you know, I don't leave that up to somebody else. So. Right. Right. Amazing. Well, um, as we come to our close, I like to, uh, I like to put people on the spot just for a second and ask them <laughs> what, what their current what their current goal is, whether it's a Dan Johnson like a personal goal or is it an audio archiving service? Is there something that you're really trying to do? And then after you tell us what that is, you're gonna have to tell us what the first thing you're gonna do to accomplish that goal is. Oh, okay. Um, that one's pretty easy. I would like to move into a larger facility. So that's my current goal right now. We are overrun with tapes and machines. Um, I have a machine buying problem. Uh, so, you know, the, like I said, tape machines are hard to come by in good working order. So when I find one, I buy one. So I, right now I have three storage units filled with like tape machines and racks and all kinds of stuff. So I would like to get a larger facility where we can house everything. Um, right now, I think we currently have probably six to 700 reels of tape in our tape vault. So I would like to get a larger tape vault just so we can house more tapes so that's that's the current goal, and right now it's just uh, getting the money together to uh, to get a uh, a bigger facility. Amazing, so, good yeah, problems well, that to be, have. That'd be awesome. Yeah, to, a very good problem to have. A yeah, very good. I'm problem. very lucky. I have a um, I have a four track behind me and a cassette that I need to transfer for somebody. Would you? How high would you rank that on quality of transfer? Well, quality of medium, um, it's, it's <laughs> well, funny. Like, yeah, I, I had a four track when I was 19 
And uh, a couple of years ago, I transferred some of my four track tapes and I'll be damned if they didn't sound great. I was surprised at how well the quality was. I mean, it's not a 24 track Studer. It's not, you know, but for being like a $300 Tascam from like 92, it's, you know, it sounded amazing. So perfect. It, it, right. It's, well, it's yeah. all subjective. It's that's right. Well, you know, it, it, Exactly. Well, Dan, thank you so much, man. Like I said, I'm, I'm super happy that you're so busy and, and doing something that I think is uh, super necessary. Oh, thank Obviously, you. you feel the same way. Yes, I do. I don't think people understand how much music is out there on a format that is aging. Not to mention you have situations like the, uh, the fire that some listeners may or may not know about that a lot of assets were destroyed in. But yeah, what you're doing is, is uh, essential to, to coin a term from uh, the current state of affairs here but uh do you want to just uh let listeners know where they can find you if you have a website or instagram if, if they have a, a catalog that they need to send your way oh, of course um you can find me at www.audioarchivingservices.com uh, i'm also on instagram at dan underscore audio archiving so very clever names also props for uh the name audio archiving services i mean that that nails it right there. Sums it up. Yeah, I, it, it, it actually, that was one of the most painstaking things I ever had to do in my life was trying to figure out the name for my business. And then I was like, I, you know, I had people asking me, oh, do you do videotapes? Do you do this and that? And I was just like, okay, let's just make it simple for everybody. Audio archiving services. Done. I feel so. I'm trying to name this podcast right now as we speak. It's, it's, uh, yeah. it's, <laughs> it's quite taxing mentally, but I think I'm getting, I'm getting yeah. close. It's like, it's like trying to name a kid. Well, that might be easier actually. So, yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right, man. Well, thank you so much. Thanks again for coming on. Oh, my pleasure, Travis.